Chapter 12 of Joaquin, the Claude Duval of California. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Tatiana Chichilla. Joaquin, the Claude Duval of California, or The Marauder of the Mines, a romance founded on truth by Henry L. Williams. Chapter 12. Carrillo is corralled, melee at Phoenix Quartz Mill, a camp of Chinese, two Americans, four Germans, Floresco parts company not exactly as he wished. Jack has a feast. Two or three days later, the band paid a visit to the tent of the luckless association who had dropped mining to take up manhunting. After having attended to the pack mules and a few remaining horses, they began to search for the gold and dug up cached dust to the value of $14,000. The delighted ravagers retired to Yaki Camp, which is not far from San Andreas, where they had a retreat. On the morning after his arrival there, Joaquin sent half of a dozen of his coyotes under charge of Valenzuela to Arroyo Cantuva with the livestock which could not elsewhere be disposed of, and with greater portion of the gold. The residue of the robbers he kept by himself, and began a series of ventures against the wayfarer and the wealthy, killing and plundering everybody who came under his hands. For many miles around San Andreas and Yaqui Camp, there was nothing talked of but the audacious thefts and murders, and not a soul could tell how they had been committed, nor how the stolen goods could be disposed of, and not have drawn detection upon the desperado authors. Men dotted the roads here and there, and yet none, coming up even when the body was warm, had seen the hand that dealt the blow. All that was clear was the unpleasant certainty that, like ghosts, bravos and pillagers were stalking among them without being suspected. Hence, on every side, men scrutinized their neighbors, though they had known them for months, and people almost drank in the old Danish fashion, knife in hand. Captain Ellis, deputy sheriff of the county, mustered a company from among the bold hearts of the San Andreas citizens, and, as soon as possible, took up the pursuit of the highwaymen. Having learnt by a spy that Joaquin was at Yaki Camp, and that one of his gang was a steady customer at the Monte table, he went without loss of time to the designated place, recognized the man of whom he had received the description, and arrested him. Carrillo, for he it was that had been betrayed, some say by that woman whose face he had confessed to have laid his palm upon, was sentenced to receive a short shrift and a long rope instanter, as an assassin and thief, but he was promised pardon if he would reveal the secret of his comrade's refuge. The brigand refused disdainfully, but still he consented, for the same reward, to help justice in some other way by which his complicity would not be seen by his mates. But, remarking that this proposal was not favorably received, he changed his tone, and in one of his bravado, said, "'Go ahead with your work, if you'll take the trouble,' added he, braggingly." To capture our baggage, you'll find in the valise that belongs to me a dagger which is still encrusted with the blood of a Yankee whom I slew. I should not wonder but that I have settled twenty of you with it. You can only kill me once, that's one good thing. It may easily be supposed that this speech would be replied to only as it deserved. The boaster, without any further ado, was slip-noosed under a tree. The wagon on which he was made to stand was driven from under him, and so goodbye to another private of Joaquin's ranks. The associates of Captain Ellis, heeding only their rage, thereupon proceeded with their work, destroying and burning the huts and dens that might serve as lairs to the coyotes. The flames shot up from peaks and cast a light over the country as a sort of signal to show how seriously the citizens of San Andreas had taken their share in the matter at hand. Joaquin, who was posted with his confederates on a not-far-distant hill, saw all these proceedings. "'My men are leaking away like mercury out of the limestone pores,' muttered he. "'Bah, see the fires. Ooh, if they had hold of us, I would not wonder at all them roasting us in the innocent brush they are burning up.' Poor Carrillo. He hasn't been able to shuffle off the coil that twisted his poor neck. No doubt he's gone to see his old commander, Harada. Caramba, the first twenty English, German, French, or statesmen that I meet shall follow him to hell and pay for my giving them the passage. 
convinced that Captain Ellis and his company, indefatigable as himself, would be scouting all over the country the next day, he withdrew to the mountains, his intention being to gain as soon as possible the spot appointed to the main rallying place, to gather all his men without delay, and to give battle to any moderate party of hunters who might follow him too closely. As they passed along near the quartz-crushing mill of the Phoenix Company a few miles from the camp, several individuals, entrenched in the building, so to say, poured a volley on the Mexicans, of whom they slightly wounded two. On the instant, Joaquin called a halt and returned the fire. As the assailants did not show themselves, he made a charge into the building with three-fingered Jack and his five or six others. They found inside only two men, Americans, who, with that contempt for the greasers, which resembles the ignorant scorn, far from as well-based, which the John Bulls, entertained in Waterloo days for the Gaul, valiantly showed an unflinching front to the force thrice their number. But in a minute, during which ten or twelve revolver shots were made, they were overpowered. Jack dragged them out into the road and did not cease plying his knife until he had shockingly mutilated the corpses. Meanwhile, the leader and his men let off several shots, more into different corners of the place, but, not liking the idea of either getting into the loft or descending into the cellar, the entrances of which places one man could defend against at least the first half-dozen, they left, and all pursued their route. On the other side of Bear Mountain, at which they arrived by a road that follows the San Domingo Creek chain, the Mexicans came upon an encampment of Chinese, on whom they levied to the extent of six or seven hundred dollars, which was all that was owned by the subjects of the Celestial Empire. "'Not a very rich streak in the load,' joked Jack Three Fingers, who could not refrain from a manifestation of great anxiety on seeing the poor weak wretches. So deeply did he interest himself in removing them from misery that he desired to effectually spare them from further pangs of existence, but Joaquin ordered him to ride on and bide time till Americans should be encountered. They crossed the river at Foreman's Ranch and followed the highway along the waterside as far as the San Andreas Road. About a mile from the town, they made an elbow and ascended an eminence not far from Greaserville. On the way, two miners who were traveling on foot were riddled with bullets and handed over to Torturer Jack in such a state that the miscreant, to satisfy his craving for blood, could merely cut their throats and smash in their faces with his riding boots. While going by a creek near Angel Camp, the marauding party entered a tent in which four Germans were sleeping. They aroused them, and, pistol to ear, steel to throat, forced them to give up all the money and its equivalent that they had in the world, that is, a little over two hundred dollars. Garcia let his comrades leave without him. When they were a few steps off, he sprang upon the four fellows, and, with one of his most terrific blasphemies, swore that he would cut their hearts out to pay them for not having more money. The action would have followed close upon the words, had not Joaquin, retracing his steps, interposed and overcome his executioner's intention by saying that he was not going to permit cool butchery. It will be remarked that Murrieta displayed the temper of fits and starts that his blood is accustomed to evince. The monster was compelled thus to give over the pleasure which he had hugged to himself in anticipation. He tried once more, however, to give the troop the slip and turn back, but the commander of the cutthroats had his eyes on him and put a second veto to his motion. The late recruit, Floresco, who had been made to stain his hands, had already had some words with his superior. Captain, he had said during a halt, I'd like a word with you. Speak away. I bring back the revolver and knife and the honor of belonging to your band which you gave me. I found out that this bush fighting doesn't suit me. I'm too lazy. I think I'll see what other life there is. All right, you can clear, remarked Joaquin coolly. The young fellow was delighted. Captain, you're a regular king of knaves. So you say. By the by, about how much does my share amount to in the common bank? Well, you had something like a thousand, I suppose, if the horses are sold. Well, well, say a thousand, down. You mistake, said Joaquin sternly. I said you had so much when you belonged to my troop. What? Would you? Senor Floresco, you came to us empty-handed. 
I let you go away the same, charging nothing for your keep during the meantime, and you will admit that you lived high, an expectation of dying higher yet. Think yourself lucky that I don't blow out your brains. I'd better stay at the old trade in that case. I should think so. For a while, the would-be deserter had kept quiet. Then he had gradually broken out into a strain of mutinous talk which made the captain watch him attentively. A few days after the last robbery, Floresco had drawn rein while the troop were on the way, and observed firmly that he was not going to ride any further, as he had some particular business which called him back to Yachin. "'What business?' inquired the chief. "'Oh, only a little private matter,' answered the other carelessly. "'I don't doubt that,' returned the leader, "'but I cannot give you leave at this moment.' My design is to unite all the members of my band at the chief rallying place, and unless you give me a good and solid reason, I cannot grant what you solicit. I did not solicit, I demanded, rejoined the young bandit haughtily. Your demand, Senor Floresco, your demand is out of place, sneered the captain, over whose lips passed a faint smile of scorn. Any place or time is good enough for me, said the rebel. I think this the hour, and this is the place when and where I take my leave. You don't seem to be in the humor for talking just now, so off I go and put off our discussion till hereafter. At the same time, with a wary eye, though, he began to wheel his horse, when out came Joaquin's revolver and a command for him to stop. Hold! Well, what now? said the bandit, drawing bridle. I think you are a traitor, returned the leader, furious at being so cavalierly treated before several new members of his force. I don't doubt that you're backing out to sell the secrets of our comrades. Oh, think what you like! answered the rebel, drawing his revolver in a significant manner, and meeting his master's eyes with a glance both insolent and threatening. Ha! exclaimed Joaquin. By the true and holy cross, you shall have your leave, if only for your impudence. At almost the same time, two shots rang out. The captain had had all the advantages given by a forestalling and firing, and Floresco, mortally hit, unable to keep foothold in the Madrona wood stirrups, wheeled and fell sideways off the horse. The animal, on feeling the reins loosen and the awful bits spike dropping, sprang away in terror and relief, but after a plunge or two, let itself be overtaken and led back by one of the hand. "'He's got the discharge,' said Garcia, laughing at his own jest. All the robbers united in highly blaming the folly and insubordination of Floresco, for when the innocent do not escape after their death, it is not likely the wicked will ever be unspared, and felicitated their superior in so summarily inflicting the lesson. "'He asked for time and place,' I gave him eternity and a grave, observed Joaquin. Some two hours after this, as a road was being used which buried itself deeply in the mountain gorges, the troop found itself in presence of a freshly established camp of five Chinamen. Though they were everyone armed with knife and derringer, they made no effort to use them for either attack or defense, but fell on their knees for life. But Floresco's resistance had put this maceroni of the mines in no sweet state of mind, and he nodded to Three-Fingered Jack. Without throwing away one minute, the latter flew at the unfortunate wretches, and with flaming eyes and gnashing tooth like a wild beast, he poignarded them successfully. While the plunderers of the placers were thus carrying on their detestable calling in the country, with an activity that equaled their audacity, more than once an excitement like to Steamer Day brought the people upon Montgomery Street to see Joaquin, who had been taken at last. End of chapter 12